Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guests are Brigadier General Ty Setchell and pollster and strategist Jim Gerstein. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicsroarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. Now, I'm going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Lomi, Z-Biotics, and Miracle Made, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James, uh, with a war in the Middle East, prospects for a protracted Ukraine war and worries about China, it's a time when not when Washington, you know, needs to have its act together. It's not even close. It doesn't. The House, no matter who Republicans try to select as the next speaker, the result's going to be chaos for the next year with the ever-present threat of a significant number of far-right MAGA extremists who really are nihilists. And if Republicans can't legislate, they then tur- turn to investigations, even impeachments, and they end up making fools of themselves. The Senate only looks good compared to the House. President Biden gave an excellent speech on the Israel-Hamas tragedy, but people, Democrats, are still talking about his age. So, James, give me some good news. Well, uh, first of all, I think the president's remarks were, were were pretty spot on yesterday. There's not a lot of good news. I, I mean, I could say there's some continues to be good news in the labor market. That's pretty pretty, pretty true. But internationally, and you know, you're right. You, you got Ukraine now. This now China. You know, you know. Think about Korea. You know, other problems that spring up, but in I, I know they talk about the president's age, but he doesn't get any younger. That's the <laughs> fact we discovered, isn't it? James? It's been the problem, but it it is, and it's been a problem since it started. It's not going to go away, and I know that you know probably everything is going to, but I think politically is going to happen is I think they're going to be like a standstill for the next week or 10 days. I mean, you know, yeah, they're crazy-ass people who say anything. And the crazy, they're not our crazy-ass people. These left-wing crazy-ass people will say anything. But uh, it, it, usually these things historically help a president's approval rating. So let's you know, let, let, let's see if this happens here in the next 10 to 14 yeah, days. Yeah, I, I, I think they... Actually, less they don't do as much as they used to, and and this is um, you know I understand. made a full-throated uh, support of Israel. Uh, I think it to some extent is going to depend right. how it all ensues, and we have some good guests to talk about that later. But you're right that that that's a potential right. bright spot. Um, how about there's still Democrats you know who are talking about getting in this race. They're not top-line Democrats, but Dean Phillips of Minnesota uh, is talking about getting in New Hampshire. RFK Jr. dropped out of the race after making a fool of himself, so he'll make a fool of himself now as an independent uh, candidate. And um, the filing deadlines are really coming up by the end of this month. 
So it doesn't look like any heavyweight's going to get in. But, you know, maybe Dean Phillips will be the alternative or someone like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, and right now it looks like we're steaming toward a, a you know, Trump-Biden general election, which 70% of the people in the country don't want. And I just think that this is not a good idea. But the... Well, it, it, you're right. Um, we also need to keep in mind that the Republicans have their own set of problems, which in some way are greater. And I admit, I do not understand why ways. Trump continues to get the numbers he gets. Uh, of course, I didn't understand. Because well, yeah, their yeah. voters are crazy. It's a hard, that's the thing you got to, until you process that. You know, we're talking about Nancy Mace. She change because she went back home and found out she wasn't going to elected of, to anything. Of, of voters are crazy. I don't think the number's that high. I think you're right. 30% are crazy. Yeah. Well, if you're voting for Trump, if you're on a poll, and everything that you know, and you're still voting for Trump, you're okay. fucking crazy. Okay. I may have if to you yield you know all this. about the criminality, you know all about the national security breaches, all about the rudeness all about it and get into the personal stuff. I, I mean, and you still, it, 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 you know, complicit in storming the Capitol, uh, uh, calling for the assassination of convicted a rapist, four-star general. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, a convicted rapist. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, and you're still for this guy? Uh, it's just, but something's wrong with you. Well, let's hope they get some profoundly wrong with in the next uh, 12 months. Well, I mean, I just, and all this third party stuff is, you know, they, they brew it out there. Okay, they're next crazy. week, or maybe two weeks from now, or sometime, we're going to come back with better news. I promise out there. Jim Gerstein uh, is not only one of America's great pollsters, he has deep roots in Israel. He's a graduate of Tel Aviv University. He's done some important polling over there. Jim, I know you have friends and associates there. Uh, first, I want to ask, are they safe? And what are you hearing in the aftermath of this horrendous terrorist act? Yeah, well, thank you for asking, Al. The, it's... My family, my friends are all safe and accounted for, um, but they're very shaken. Uh, so they're they're very shaken, um, and they are. Uh, I'd say they have a kind of a cocktail of emotions of based on what's what's been going on, um, and it's a uh, it's a tough situation. But uh, you know, our thoughts are with them, and our support is. Boy, with them. you know. They you're absolutely right. It just did. <clears throat> I turned off the television twice. I mean, I just couldn't watch it. And I don't think I've ever done that before. It was just so terrible. Look, the focus is on the war. And usually when there is a perilous security crisis, it tends to help politically the hardliner, <clears throat> in this case, Netanyahu. On the other hand, there was a massive intelligence and military failure that occurred on his watch. Now, we know a lot's going to intervene and, and be joined politically, but what do your superb instincts tell you about how this is going to play out? I mean, it, we're talking on Wednesday, uh, and it's a very fluid situation. So I think you're right. Things are going to move in a lot of different directions. 
both in terms of the the military response, in terms of the internal political dynamics. Um, but what I would say that is striking about this particular uh, situation is that typically you see a rally around the leader effect constantly. And, and there is a ton of solidarity in the country. 360,000 reservists have been called to duty, and they are reporting with energy, with enthusiasm, you know, with eagerness to, to help restore safety and security to the country. Uh, and many of these reservists were, were just two weeks ago, or uh, less than two weeks ago, out on the streets protesting the judicial overhaul. So this, the, the people have put things aside to um, to advance their with they, their situation, the security situation in the country. Uh, I am struck though by the amount of criticism of Netanyahu uh, so quickly into this situation. Uh, um, when I said it at the beginning, there's a cocktail of emotions. People are, you know, they are just in horror by the atrocities that they've seen about the people that they know who have been killed, the situation with the hostages. Um, but they're also really angry at their government and at their military for the security lapse. Well, Jim, and I, I, I was going to say, say I, go I, ahead, please go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you, I've not seen um, such criticism of the prime minister so quickly into a situation like this. And whether it's editorials and newspapers, columnists, or or uh, intelligence um, analyses. Well, Jim, didn't the intelligence and security leaders warn that Netanyahu's determination and total focus on remaking the Israel legal system, uh, which caused such a massive uproar, which you just uh, described, that that was a distraction that made the country more vulnerable? It, this did happen. It was widely reported at the time prior to the attack. Uh, I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, right now, the country's focus is on fighting this war. There is going to be um, an, uh, an inquiry or, you know, an investigation uh, down the road to look at what led to all of this. And, um, you know, I think Netanyahu was pretty weak. Uh, going in prior to the attacks, and I think that in, that inquiry is going to um, a lot of people. A lot of people will be held responsible, but certainly the the person at the top of the pyramid. Jim, I hate to bring this up, but um, it's almost certain there's going to be an incursion in Gaza. Um, that's going to really be god awful. I mean, it's totally justified, but it really is. I mean, Tom Friedman wrote this morning: just think twice, you know, before you do it. You got to retaliate, but boy. That's going to be rough, isn't it? Yeah, I thought his his uh, piece was very, um, very insightful, very thought provoking, and very important. The I think the situation for facing Israel right now is they don't have good options. There, there really is. Uh, they've got a series of hard decisions to make. Uh, they finally have some professionals in the decision making process. The Benny Gantz just joined. A war cabinet. There's going to be a three-person war cabinet, uh, or a three-person decision-making war cabinet. And now they have Benny Gantz in there, um, who was the former defense minister and part of the political opposition, and former also former chief of staff of the military. Uh, so I think that will give some confidence to the public about uh, who's who's involved in some of the decision-making. But these are di incredibly difficult decisions 
that the that the leadership needs to make. Uh, and none of them have good good options. As you mentioned, the ground incursion it is this is urban warfare in a very densely populated um, area, and they've been there have been ground incursions or ground troops there before, and it. Yeah, we still had this situation that we have today. It's it. We also what's different now is we have approximately 150 hostages there, and they are that that makes this incredibly difficult to navigate. And it's um, uh, I hate to repeat myself, but there are not good options here, and there but there's a lot of important work to be done. James, so uh, Jim. Tell us, let's talk about the government is currently structured because there's been a declaration of war and there's been an announcement of a unity government. Who's going to make decisions and in in how are people going to be held accountable? And does this suspend the holding of elections? What, just politically, what is, how does this change everything? Okay, so as of a couple of hours ago, the, they established a, a war cabinet. And okay. within that war cabinet, as I understand it at this moment, and this is subject to change, oh, gotcha. uh, but they, there are three decision makers. Right. Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, Yoav Gallant, the uh, defense minister, and Benny Gantz, who I just mentioned, who is right. a former defense minister, former chief of staff of the military, and is the head of one of the parties in the opposition. So it's not exactly a unity government. It is a war cabinet that includes people, uh, includes members of the coalition of the opposition who are now entering. Uh, in addition to that, those three people as the formal decision makers, there are advisors to this war cabinet, one of whom comes from Benny Gantz's party, who is, his name is uh, Gadi Eisenkot, who was one of the, um, he's also a former uh, chief of staff of the military. So there is, there are some professionals now entering this decision making, uh, and the the head of the opposition, the the, the leader of the party, the largest party in the, in the opposition, is Yair Lapid. He has not joined the government as of now. He um, is one. His condition is that Netanyahu discard the two most extreme and radical. Uh, elements of the coalition so that there's not that, you know, that, 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 that you don't have them involved in, in a war-like situation. The last thing I'd say is, uh, in terms of UCS about holding elections, things like that, there is no date. There is no uh, uh, date on the calendar. There's clearly obviously not going to be a, an election during this war uh, right. That would be way too disruptive for uh, right, prosecuting right, right. it, certainly in the, these stages of the war. Um, the uh, it, the one really important political piece right. that just happened is when Gantz joined, uh, the uh, Netanyahu agreed to stop all other legislation, uh, and that relates to the judicial overhaul. Um, so everything's on the back burner. Everything's at but, hold. They're at war. So this is something, in, you know, there's going to be an inquiry. There's going to be, and one thing that we know about Israel is there's a lot of finger point going to go on here, and there's a lot of other stuff that's going to happen. It's something that you and I have never been fans of, and when it started, people said this is going to bite us on the ass one day of these settlements. And, and how... how how much do you think that settlement policy 
work toward provoking this kind of thing that we just saw? Is it, is it, does that yeah. make it worse but for the I, country? I think it's a very important question, James. I just I want to qualify everything I say with uh, in light of some folks arguing that this, you know, Israel had this coming, all this. Like, right, right. No, no one has that bullshit. Exactly. And, uh, and, you know, what this was, un, these attacks are unprovoked on civilians and you can't, you know, there's no justification at all. Okay. So obviously, yes. Uh, the settlements are, uh, have historically and um, continue to be a source of major tension major provocation for uh, the tensions between Israel and the Palestinians. They undermine the efforts to have a two-state solution. We are now seeing how the uh, when you bring into the government settler leaders, uh, how the resources get even further diverted to the settlements, uh, both financial resources and now the military resources. Uh, and we're talking about settlements in the West Bank. There right. are no settlements in Gaza. A very important distinction to make. But, but the settlements kept growing and they were a political force. I mean, they, they were like a group that organized and just stayed on, stayed on it and pushed and pushed. And as I understand it, some of them were pretty aggressive toward the the, the non-settlers that were in the same area. I mean, it was a lot of right. back and forth. Um, there, just in the last year, there have been attacks on Palestinian uh, residents of the West Bank by settlers, uh, Jewish settlers in the West Bank. And that, of course, escalates the, situa escalates the situation, diverts resources back to that conflict. Um, again, not, you know, not at all justifying Right. In any way, shape, or I, form, what has happened? Nothing. I know just, you're nothing. Just yes. All right. <laughs> it's very clear to make that point. It, no, it, yeah, it doesn't mur murdering children is as unjustifiable as anything can be. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, you can be. I, I, I just, I think that this is just a seminal moment for Israel because it, it, it's always reminded if it ever forgets that it's living in a hostile neighborhood. Yeah, a lot of the analysis has been that the you know the government took its eye off the ball in Gaza because their attention was on right. the settlements in in the West. Well, that's what the Egyptians are putting out. And I don't know who I believe. It's and, yeah. Go ahead. And the, the U.S. and the Israelis both throw cold water on the fact that the Iranians were involved. Did mm -hmm. you know anything? or have any feelings about this. Like I think the the people who are driving the narrative that the Iranian that the uh, the, the the Iranians are responsible and that Biden is the cause of all this that it's the Republican Party it's it, it is nonsense and right. so obviously yeah I think the White House and uh, has put out very clear um, information on the Iranian role and that you know it's obviously complicit more broadly. Uh, due to his longtime support and interest uh, in parties like Gaza, like Hamas and uh, Hezbollah, but uh, that there's no direct evidence at this point in time that they orchestrated this specific atrocity. And I think the distraction campaign by, you know, you just turn on Fox News and that's all they're talking about. Well, for, for one observation, I turn back to you. That that operation 
was very sophisticated. I mean, this was not a bunch of rubes, you know, casing out the bank or something like that. I mean, they came in on power gliders. They had moved earth-moving equipment to the board of it. You don't think the satellites could have said, uh, hey, man, what's, what's going on here, in addition to the maneuvers and, and everything else? But I, I got to believe, man, I've obviously been to Gaza and seen it. I got to believe they had help. And that's, I mean, the military planner did this, or planners knew what they were doing. Uh, and they kept it quiet. Yeah. I mean, think about how, I mean, this, you're right, this was very sophisticated operation, uh, it, you know, in evil, evil in its, in its, in, in all aspects of it and pulled off with a evil execution. And they, um, but the fact that they were able to keep it quiet for so long, obviously there were a lot of signals that were missed. Um, and that this has really hurt the you know, the Israeli psyche that something like this could happen, and and that plays into all of the next steps and, and the damage to their psyche and what they're going, how they're going to respond. I would add to this, going back to what Al asked about ground troops, or, um, they are clearly prepared for. Yeah, when they plan this, they are clearly planning for the next day, and know they know what Israel's potential right. responses are and they are they are I, they will not be surprised and unprepared for a ground attack uh right. and so i think that's one of the things that the military experts are in israel are certainly trying to figure out and navigate and how do you go in there without having your soldiers being sitting ducks which right. is very scary because these oh. are the these are these are reservists in many i mean these are young people they're but they're also reservists they're they're parents they are. I have friends who are in their fifties and sixties who are running to the border as reservists. I mean, this is. Uh, you're, there are a lot of people. Everyone in Israel is affected by what the next decisions are made. Jim, <clears throat> I was a young reporter in Washington in 1973, <clears throat> the Yom Kippur War. Israel was caught off guard uh, again, and then they rallied and massively defeated. <clears throat> Uh, you know, score a huge victory. But boy, it changed Israeli politics, didn't it? I mean, it was be, it started to mark the end of the labor reign. And within, what, three years, Likud took over. Uh, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine something like this not having a huge impact domestic, in domestic politics, whatever it is. Right. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say it, was, it took three years. Um, yeah. uh, to, you know, that's when the next election took place. And it was then that next election was the first time in the history of the country that uh, the Labor Party did not win an election, did not win. And that's what brought in Menachem Begin to be the new prime minister, uh, who, by the way, then made peace with Egypt, the country, one of the countries that attacked them in the Yom Kippur right. War. Uh, and that that had a long-lasting, stabilizing effect for Israel and the region. Well, let me ask you about part of of uh, Netanyahu's coalition are the right-wing religious fundamentalists. Um, <clears throat> they don't fight uh, in these wars as a general rule, do they? I mean, they're going to. You talked about all the reservists who were called up, and both young kids and fifty and sixty-year-olds are going. There's there's there there one that's AWOL. Does that? Is that going to affect them politically at all? Because they have been a powerful political force. Yes, the, the ultra ultra religious in the country do not serve in the in the army. There have been ongoing efforts uh, by the 
uh, center left to require them in past legislation that requires a form of national service or some sort of contribution to the uh, to the country. Um, and it has been repeatedly blocked by the the right who has been in power. And it's the you know, it's one of the big priorities and and things that a ultra religious party demands when it goes into a coalition. The big ones are no, you know, not requiring them to serve in the military and funding the religious schools. Uh, and so you're right. There is a lot of tension over this issue in the country, a lot of division. This actually speaks to the judicial overhaul um, uh, scenario as well, because that overhaul was being pushed by, among others, the religious, ultra-religious parties, so that the Supreme Court could not strike down uh, laws that were would be seen as violating the, the rights of secular the majority secular population. So, uh, yeah, again, I do come back to right now, the country is unified and, and in solidarity in a, in a war effort, but that these, these divisions are very deep, uh, very enduring and will certainly play out, uh, as continue to play out as time goes. Jim, on. I've only been to Israel three or four times, but I have an enormous admiration for the country uh, its citizens, its ingenuity, its courage, but that's a really screwed up political system. <laughs> I, I, I agree on every one of your points. <laughs> okay. Uh, wonderful people, wonderful country. Um, uh, you know, an important place in the world for, for the Jewish people. Um, but a completely dysfunctional political system that uh, yeah, rivals the House Republican Caucus in terms of its functional. That's a, that's a function. good comparison. That's a really great uh, analogy. James. <laughs> so, uh, so, Jim, I've, I've worked in Israel, Ukraine, and Afghanistan. I think I need to turn my passport in. Not a very impressive uh, trail. Head to Switzerland, James. <laughs> let, let's turn to American domestic politics. And by all accounts, the president's words were, were, were very appropriate yesterday to the point. You know, you do a lot of polling in America. Do you expect any kind of a mild bump from this or we don't know, you know, what's your general view? Uh, But before I answer that directly, I want to also, because I forgot to mention at the outset, I got bombarded with messages yesterday and today from people in Israel about how much they loved and appreciated Biden's speech. That's why I brought him in a text, yeah. They are... the media is effusive in its praise of him. I think what's happened is they, you know, they just went through this awful experience right. and felt, yeah, felt devastated. And to see the president of the United States come out in such a heartfelt and right. powerful support for the country um, was kind of the morale boost they needed at the moment. And so I think that that's an important piece of the overall dynamic uh, in Israel. Uh, here at home, uh, before talking about the general population, I just side note, you know, Jews in America are among Biden's biggest supporters and, and uh, I think are overwhelmingly 
pleased with his statements and and what he's done. Will this, to your directly to your point, will this have any impact on the on the U.S. political, you know, right. the election and all that? I mean, I maybe he'll get a bump because he's seen as you know this speaks to his leadership skills, his experience in foreign policy, national security, what, you know, some of the adult in the room piece to what people were looking for when they voted for him. But uh, this is not what the 2024 election is going to be about. And, um, you know, hopefully this, this does send a message to voters of reassurance and, and reminder of what, of what they like about him. But it's, again, it's not what the election is about. And this, that the election is going to turn on Things like right. the economy and abortion right. rights. Right. I, I think you know, I, I don't prove both things, but I, I think the public just senses disorder everywhere. If it's the southern border, if it's crime, if it's in the House of Representatives, if it's the Middle East, if it's gas prices, uh, I, I, and of course, but Biden didn't have it, anything to do with what happened in Israel, but. Obviously, he obviously doesn't have anything to do with the fact that the Republicans can't elect a speaker. But what scares me strategically is this, this sense that things are just getting away from us. Mm-hmm. I and think I, that is a oh, – go ahead. Yeah, no, no, it's a general point. Yeah, I think that point is right on target and speaks to one of the underlying dynamics in the country. I would add homelessness to homelessness that list of for things for that sure, are that was just, a stupid omission of mine. It's a huge, huge issue. And people, they're not against homeless people. They just don't want them in their neighborhoods. They, they don't mind immigrants, all right? They they just don't want them flooding in across the border. But I, I just think that the... the the problem that President Biden has is the country is in this mood that no one's in charge here. That, that, that's all. But I, uh, what, what a, you know, my best to you. I know your family, you got in-laws over there. I know how much you passionately care about the country and what happens. This is going to be a long haul, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, no, no good options. It's going to be long. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of, Hope that we get past this and try to find some, you know, some long-term solutions. To, in a, in how how worried, before I let you go now, because, of course, how worried are people about Hezbollah causing mischief on the northern border? Very worried. Uh, it's a key piece to this to have to fight uh, on two fronts. That stretches your resources even further. Uh, one of the friends I mentioned uh, has been called up for the reserves is, is on the Northern border right now. It's not, you know, there are incursions, there are rockets, there's, there's people in bomb shelters and it's, it's, it's trying. And, and it would, it, and Tom Friedman, I think wrote about this and spoke about it a lot. This, another, that further destabilization can, can unravel quickly and bring in, I mean, see what that does to us involvement if this, goes more regional and as Hezbollah gets if, if that front opens up you do have an Iranian element yeah, you sure do. added to the to this equation which is very scary Jim I, I agree this is a <clears throat> it's a tragedy it's very sad uh, you have to feel just terrible right now but I you know over the long run uh, you know a country with its history a country with the richness of its 
of its, as they say, its courage and its talent, you know, it's going to be okay. It's just the hell that they may have to go through to get there. You are a terrific guest and we've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Hey, James, our guest is Army General Ty Sedgley, 36 years of service in the Army, uh, uh, hot spots all over the world. He's a professor emeritus of history at West Point and an acclaimed author. General, uh, let me talk about Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. He's put holds on around 300 military promotions to try to get the Pentagon to change its policies and abortions. The Alabama freshman says, hey, it may be a minor personal inconvenience, but it doesn't really hurt our military readiness, does it? Uh, Bull-oney. I will tell you right now that the the senator from Alabama's policy is both stupid and evil. Uh, it's stupid because those he is hurting and those he's doing, which is the, the senior leaders of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines and, and Space Force, have no ability to change the policy. So they are they're, they, they are innocent in this. In fact, one of the great things about the United States military is we are apolitical. One of the only militaries in the history of the world that has never had a military coup d'etat. And part of that is, is that it's because of our senior leaders going back to Washington, and yet he is hurting them. It is hurting our, our readiness, which I will can go into uh, the eaches on this. It's hurting families, which I can go into on the eaches on this. Uh, it's hurting our readiness. It's hurting our allies. It's hurting uh, our fight against Ukraine. It's hurting our fight, uh, uh, our support in Israel, and it's going to hurt how we're fighting in China. It's hurting our cyber force. I mean, it is hurting the entire thing, and it is going to take years to recover. So no, he is absolutely Absolutely wrong, and uh, and and he is hurting uh, great Americans who are serving their country. I, I couldn't be more upset about this policy about making the military generals and admirals political pawns for him. For him. Well, let's just take a, um, a current example right now. The Pentagon has just dispatched the USS Gerald Ford, our most advanced carrier, along with other ships, to the Middle East as a signal of support for Israel. The head of naval operations and the head of the Fifth Fleet are among those being held back by Tuberville. That makes it rather hard to command uh, that presence over there, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's and it's worse than that because the staff on Central Command, many of the generals and admirals on the staff at Central Command, which is based out of Tampa, which is planning some of the uh, actions around that, uh, are also not in the positions. It's also hurting us in European Command because European Command is the one that is in charge of Israel. And they have many places, people that aren't in the right positions. The senior military representative for NATO also can't um, take that position. So it is It is now, I think, over 300, 308, last time I checked, of people that have not are not in the correct positions. And and think about the follow-on because it's not just in, in it's hurting us in the in the, in the Gerald Ford because the Na- Navy is, doesn't have it. The Fifth Fleet doesn't have it. Neither does the Seventh Fleet. Um, I was just at the uh, Naval Academy and they don't have the superintendent there on board. So they had to put a temporary officer, uh, Admiral Fasher, in charge 
charge of the Naval Academy, and he's supposed to take the Seventh Fleet, which is in charge uh, of of China, Korea, Japan. That's the largest fleet there. So, and then everyone back is is backed up. To, to support this too. So in fact, um, uh, Admiral Franchetti says that, and this is a quote from her testimony, she's the one who's supposed to be the chief of naval operations. It will take years to recover from the promotions if confirmed uh, because of these delays. Well, that is just a terrible commentary on those patriot-waving senators who won't put a stop to this. I mean, damn it, there is absolutely no reason I mean, don't talk to me about this bullshit about the world's greatest deliberative body. Stop Tuberville's damage right now, and they won't do it. No, I, and, and I don't know how they can get to do it. I think that that's things that, that, that you and James could talk about is how do you get them to do it. But the effect of it, I think just one other part of this, which is, you know, I know that you may, some of your listeners may be surprised at how much a general or admiral makes. So if you're a four-star admiral, you make, uh, not including benefits, $212,000 a year. Now, remember Trump once said, hey, how much do you make, Millie? And he thought, is it $5 million a year? No, it's two hundred and twelve. dollars So we have over 30 different people that can't retire that are being forced to continue on active duty in jobs they have been in for years and years and years because they're not allowed to do that. You can also talk about um, the the the, brig- the colonels and and captains who should be promoted to brigadier general or rear admiral. They're losing twenty six hundred dollars a month, and I know that's not the biggest deal in the world. But but these are people who are serving their nation when it makes most fiscal sense to get out of twenty and start that next career. They're not doing that, and for pilots. You know, we're keeping these the pilots in. There is a huge uh, lack of pilots in the force. And so that's another one that, that, that these people are sacrificing their fiscal well-being to continue to serve. And yet and yet uh, Senator Tuberville will not allow, will not take those holds off. And that's not even including the children who are stuck in limbo and can't start the right schools in place or the spouses who can't get new jobs in the places where they're going. So it's not just... Uh, it's America. That's why I say it's stupid and evil. It's stupid because it's hurting our 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 uh, uh, our readiness. It's evil because it's hurting the families uh, and those who choose to serve this great nation. Boy, you have really laid it out, James. Well, uh, with uh, Senator Tuberville, the stupidity option is 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 always a viable option. <laughs> and and how and if you were to explain to him in our audience how central command structure is to the military. I mean, maybe he, he looks at it and says, well, you got one guy there, he'll just stay there, another guy move around. I don't think he really understands the relationship between command structure and a functioning military. James, it's a great point. So I, I've listened to his pod, he was on a podcast and recently and said, and he said, this is a quote, that he said, listen, those generals and admirals, they're just not that important. You know, it's the corporals and the, and the privates that are really the ones that count. And, and, and listen, I, the, those at the pointy end of the bayonet are incredibly important, but you've got to, this is from coming from a coach, you know, it's like <laughs> saying, no, we have, we have no need for coaches. Just send out 11 people on the field and it's going to turn out fine. But he also said, and this is a quote, I don't care if they promote anybody, to be honest with you. He has no idea. So listen, we are a hierarchical uh, organization, or as I like to say, it's an obedience-based organization, uh, which means that we follow the orders of those above us. And those above us have been, you know, it takes 
uh, 18 years to create an army battalion commander, 22 to be a brigade commander, 25 to be a division commander. You can't, that's why we don't take people off the street to be in these positions. You've got to grow into them and take successive positions. And, and to get that, to get that, um, to get that experience, you have to rise up through the ranks. So when you get to be a two, three, and four star general commanding a division or or an aircraft strike battle group, man, that's that's uh, that's just uh, an amazing level. I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of people that you're in charge of, and and mistakes which happen in combat or in training all the time um, happen all the time. And if you are not experienced in that, you're going to make more of them. So I just heard somebody at the Naval Academy say that the last strike battle group rotation he went on, everybody came home. There were no accidents and nobody died. That is the exception because we're talking about inherently dangerous things. And if you don't have experienced leadership who know they're in that leadership, you, you can't do it. Moreover, you need to change that leadership out. It is such a demanding job. You can't stay in those jobs for, for years and years and years. It just It's too uh, physically, emotionally, and mentally demanding. You have to rotate out to make sure that we have this system uh, so you have, you have the three and four-star generals that are, that are qualified. So the level of harm he is causing to the private and, and, and sergeants who are going to have less leadership or, or, or lack leadership, I might also say that what he's forcing people to do at that high level is have two and three jobs simultaneously. So right now we have no vice chief of staff of any, I don't know if any of these services, they're the ones that actually run the service. Sort of the, 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 the chief is out, the vice chief is in. And is, is, in other words, commanding inside the inside the Pentagon and running the budget and everything else. Well, it means that 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 the chief or the acting chief, depending on the case, is doing two jobs simultaneously. And these are enormous jobs. But because of Senator Tuberville, that we're we're having to double up dozens and dozens of jobs that otherwise need to be done only by one person. It is a level of. I, I, here's what I think it is, James. I think it's dereliction of duty. Well, if 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 I'm Chinese general or admiral, or I'm you know, in, any in Russia. Take take any country, and I, I'm saying, and I get briefed, and I said, "I'm waiting." Let me tell you, one guy is holding up the whole command structure of the U.S. military. I, I don't think people could even grasp that that could happen. I, it, it's it's so outrageous. It, it you have to tell me about it again. I don't understand this. Yeah, there's one guy, he's pretty stupid, he's from Alabama, and he's paralyzed the entire command structure of the most powerful military in the world. It, 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 at some point you say, is this country a joke? I'm serious. I don't know. It, it, it's crazy. And, you know, it goes back to the Constitution. And the Constitution says that the Senate must confirm all military commissions and promotions. And, of course, this is because we want to ensure civilian control of the military, which happens really well. Remember that there are 50,000 promotions a year that the Senate confirms and has to do on a unanimous basis. Could you imagine doing all 50,000 individually? And so the Senate Armed Services Committee, which is, you know, the, the chair of that uh, committee is Jack Reed, great American. Right. Um, and right. um, the uh, uh, Roger Wicker is the ranking, also a great American. And by the way, you know, the, the Senate, the, the National Defense Authorization Bill went through the SASC, the Senate Armed Services Committee, unanimously. These things have gone, it would be unanimous if it wasn't for this one senator. So he is not stopping promotions commissions. He's not stopping the uh, promotions to major lieutenant commander or commander lieutenant colonel or colonel. So it's not as though he's doing all of them. He's just doing to make sure he hurts the military as much as he possibly can. 
So wait, you, uh, back up, a, a, a promotion has to be confirmed unanimously by the Senate according to the Constitution? It has to be confirmed. This, what the Senate, what the Constitution says is it has to be confirmed, advised and consent. It has to be confirmed by well, the Senate. It, 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 the it's not unanimous. Doesn't say it doesn't one get, senator can commuted. stop the whole thing. It does not say. No way it says that. No way. No way. So 90, no. 99 to 1 in the Senate... 51-49 is as good as 100 or nothing. Right. But remember that if, if if because of the way this crazy system in the Senate works in the hold, which has changed but, over time, this system means that okay. it once that 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 that, you, that he can he can hold this. It, it's a crazy. It's a crazy system. Well, but the you're Senate, the, totally. Yeah, you're, you're the expert here. Can't they just vote to just do away with it? They could vote, vote a one time. They basis? could vote to change that rule tomorrow. And and that's right. why I think Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. This is going on now. I think General for like eight or nine months. I mean, eight months. And and I think uh, I I think it's. I mean, obviously, I think everything that Tuberville's doing it's evil. It's stupid. But he's stupid. Uh, but the Senate knows better, and I think it's a dereliction of their duty, James. And I don't know if the general agrees with me uh, not I, to change yeah. that rule. I I I I, I don't get it. And the only thing I comment on, Megan, go, go back to the general, is these things, when the military does something, it's really long-range stuff. They just don't get up one day and decide we're going to send an aircraft carrier here or we're going to move a division of people there. I mean, uh, the amount of planning and, and the sophistication and the command structure and the continuity, it, it, the more you think about it, I, I think General worse it gets. It is. It, it is. It, it is. And, and, you know, you just start looking at it more and more. There are other issues. So, for instance, when I was uh, stationed in NATO, um, I was frock, which means I was a major at the time, but I had to be in a lieutenant colonel position because I was working with other other uh, uh, people, other nations, and they're really sensitive about what rank you are. So oh, if you're yeah. an acting, like you should be in a two-star slot, you're one-star, you're a, a, a captain colonel, and you're in a one-star slot, they take that, they're really sensitive about that. Here's another good example, NORTHCOM, and NORTHCOM, United States Northern Command, is in charge of the continental U.S. and, and, the, and the defense of the U.S. And, and really sort of Canada as well, both both from missiles and uh, uh, and and also from other ways of, of a, you know, when 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 9-11 happened, NORTHCOM was responsible for the response of that on U.S. soil. So uh, right now, that person is supposed to retire soon. If the NORTHCOM person retires, which he is going to have to do, a Canadian will be in charge of the of, of that organization and the defense of the United States. So the, the, we just keep coming to second and third order effects as the longer this goes on. So by the end of this year, I, mean, I got the I got the the, the numbers here just because it was so amazing to me to figure out how much it'll be. There's a total of 850 some general officers, 852. By the end of this year, 650 will need to pass through the Senate for promotion or reassignment. And so nearly 90 percent of the nation's general and flag officers will be affected by this hold from Senator from the from the senator from Alabama. I don't even know I like to speak his name. It's like it's like he who shall not be named from my go. perspective. Yeah, I would. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of questions, General. Let me uh, on a different subject. Uh, conservative critics like Ted Cruz have said that because of the emphasis on diversity and inclusion, <clears throat> the United States Army is too, and I quote Cruz, woke and has been emasculated. Is that true? That is just such bull. 
oh my God, that just ticks me off hearing about it. We have the finest military in the history of the world because we represent the finest country in the world. And the idea that we're some, that, that, that this is, that, that we're the woke military is just, look where we are. We don't have time to do that. What we do have time though to do, and I think is really, really important that we, um, uh, that, that, you know, that, that we, that we think about is we are, um, the most diverse workforce in the country. Mm-hmm. We have the most diversity in the country and, and starting in, um, so I got, can I give you a little history here? Sure. Do you mind if I give a little history? You're, you're so, an historian, so we want to I get into it. I can't help it. I can't help it. So in 1948, the army um, was for the military was forced to integrate. It didn't want to, and it did it. in fits and starts didn't really want to. And so in 1969, uh, uh, the, the service member service members' kids are still going to segregated black schools. In 1969, in 1969, Mississippi has one black national guardsman, not one percent, one. In the 1960s, there are 0.2% black officers in the Navy and the Marine Corps. And when you start to have a volunteer army in the early 70s, you can't do this anymore. You can't have a volunteer military and have a force that is nearly all led by white people. It, it, you just can't do it. And there's race riots in that early period. So what happens is white leaders, um, uh, Elmo Zumwalt in the Navy, Melvin Lair, Secretary of Defense, say, you know, we got a problem here. And so they institute and create the Defense Race Relations Institute. They create the equal opportunities um, uh, uh, uh places and, and actually people that ensure equal opportunity in the military. And Senator Tupperbill is the one that said, listen, we, we don't, we're not an equal opportunity military. Well, that's just, that, not, that's against the law to do that. And so we create this equal opportunity structure and guess what? It works. By the time we go to the Gulf War, we have 7% African-American officers and 31% senior African-American leaders just in the army. And the reason that we are successful is we're able to address those issues. And by the time we get to right now, listen, we need to make sure we have a diverse force. Otherwise, this volunteer military does not work. But the idea that we're woke, if I even knew what that meant, I would be able to refute it. But it just seems to be things that he doesn't, that people don't like. Yeah, we I, have the greatest military in the world. I would just add that the most, and when the Supreme Court took up affirmative action 20 years ago, the most important briefs filed came from West Point and Annapolis <clears throat> because exactly what you just said, not only had they done it, but it worked. They were both better academies than they had been 30 years ago. They were training better officers than they had been 30 years ago, except for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <it's> so <laughs> no, <true. laughs> it is. Let me, let me ask one more and then turn it back to James. Um, if Israel goes into Gaza, which they may have to yeah. do given the awful yeah. things that happen, describe what that might be like. Oh my gosh! You know, uh, first of all, what happened is just uh, uh, just the horror, the abomination of of slaughtering children, civilians. I, my my heart goes out to the Israeli people, and I am uh, uh, I, I stand with them. Um, having said that, going in, you may have seen the, the the pictures of what Gaza looks like. It looks like Stalingrad. It they have just completely destroyed it. So all those places are just perfect places to put IEDs, those are improvised explosive devices, to put booby traps. Um, they know the terrain, uh, the, the, the Hamas knows the terrain better. It's going to be awful. And the, what is the strategic goal? Remember, you can't overcome bad strategy um, with good tactics. So what's the strategy here? Well, do away with Hamas? How do you do that? I have no idea. So they're going to go into this. But then on the other hand, how do you not go in? Right. So they're in a, it is going to be a bloody, long, 
mess. And, and I don't know how it's going to end, except it's going to be really, really horrible for everybody. And the second and third order effects, whether it's Iran, the other uh, nations in the Middle East, our allies and us, are so unpredictable. Remember, war is the most dangerous, chaotic, unpredictable uh, uh, ac activity that humans undertake. And humans are the most chaotic, dangerous, and unpredictable animal on the planet. It's like nothing but independent variables. It is going to be horror. Well, that's frightening. James? Right. So, so General, you're obviously a, 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 a highly educated, knowledgeable soldier. You're also a highly knowledgeable historian, a military historian. When I look at what they pulled off, Hamas, right under the nose of the most sophisticated surveillance state in the history of the world, without electronic communications, I don't, you know, how they supplied these people, the coordination, the, the, the note, what it takes, you know, a guy, you got to come out of the paraglider's got to come, the boat out of the Mediterranean's got to, it, it was a pretty sophisticated thing they pulled off, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. I mean, a level of sophistication, of in integration of air, sea, and ground assets of both. Um, no, no, I, 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 it is amazing. And they did that against the most technologically uh, advanced force around. And it just goes to, sh I mean, there, there's a couple of things to think about from a military perspective. There's no obstacle is worth a darn unless it's covered by direct fire. And what do I mean by that? If you have a fence and you can't cover it with some human that has direct fire, meaning whether it's tanks or machine gun, it, it isn't a great obstacle. And that's the problem that they had. The second problem they had is that you have, a, 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 you have a, an enemy that is has to figure out other ways to fight. And guess what? They totally did. Human beings, when they are put against a wall, are, are the most adaptive. I don't care which human beings you're talking about. The most adaptive it, it comes. And boy, I tell you, the, you see that in, in, in just spades with the way that Hamas uh, reacted and the way they planned this. I, it shocked me with their sophistication uh, and with the effectiveness. Now, it also horrified me because of what they did. But remember, what's terrible is, and I hate to say this, but there's a purpose for what they did. And so if you think about the strategic value of what they did, horrific, um, uh, the slaughtering children, but Israel has to go in and go into this place and now they're going to destroy it. But, but how does that help in the long run? Well, strategically, probably it's going to tear apart the Saudi-U.S.-Israeli um, deal. Don't know how that's going to come forward. It's going to further inflame the Gulf states. So there's a strategic means for what Hamas did, and I don't know how Israel is going to deal with that. So if you take the, the professors at Carlisle, it's normally War College, will, will this kind of change the way that, because uh, it seemed like it was going to go tech, all technology all the time in warfare. It was in, I mean, not the stuff that an individual soldier has now, she's got to be, be a Berkeley engineer to operate it. But does this kind of same some thinking that something this simple and this primitive can be this effective? We've learned this lesson over and over again. We learned it when we thought the airplane was going to create, was going to end wars. It doesn't. We thought that the atom bomb would end wars. It doesn't. We thought that the tank, in the 1973 Arab-Israeli war, the tank, the Israelis said, all we need are tanks. 
and they were crushed by infantry uh, together. And we thought, you know, that Israelis thought this technology was going to win. No technology defeats human ingenuity. It just will never happen. And I think we know that. Um, we continue to try to make it so war is lethal to our enemies and not to us. But in the end, to uh, to to hold ground takes an infantryman, and it can be supported by tanks and airplanes and everything else. But it, here's the thing, you know, you think about this again, and I, there's, there's this old uh, saying about that there's a, a, an Air Force general, uh, an admiral, and an army guy, and the Air Force, U.S. Air Force says to the admiral, hey, admiral, way to go. You control the seas. Nobody, nobody can can affect the, 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 the high seas. You control it. Way to go, Navy. Hey, thanks there, Air Force general. Hey, you know what, Air Force general? You control the skies. Nobody else can do that without the U.S. Air Force there. And they both turn to the Army and say, hey, what about you guys? Every time you go in, it's like so complicated. You never win. What's the deal? And the, and the Army guy looks at him and says, well, you know, how many people live in the air? How many people <laughs> live in the ocean? It turns out that there are 8 billion people, and trying to control people is the hardest thing you can possibly do. Well, uh, we I'll tell you, you, you know, James, this has been one of our great guests. He is... <clears throat> you have laid bare the Tuberville outrage, the stupidity, uh, and, and also given a given us, I'm afraid, a a, a horrifying lesson on uh, what might happen in Gaza. But you are one great guest, and thank, I can't thank, thank you, you enough, General. We'll get to crank it out this afternoon, General. But uh, you know, if you want to get somebody to get a trained military historian, you know, done a. 3,000 lesson plans that can probably talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, as you know, and you both can too. Um, you can just about wind me up and I go, but I got to tell you this, man, I, this whole, it's, it's happening. It's affecting my friends, you know, it's affecting the people that I care about. And uh, I just can't imagine what he thinks he is doing, nor why we can't. And, and I, I don't think, know. You know, honestly, he's stupid. I think he, he, he referred to Tavriel thinks, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I really, Ty. I he really arrived. He arrived in Washington <clears throat> as a United States senator and did not know. Did not know there were three branches of government. I know. I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's they are sophisticated. And, learning shit. Y'all don't need that. And he uh, he defeated a good friend of mine. Doug Jones is a great oh, American. Oh yeah, he is a very yeah. good friend of mine. Yeah, he, really he is, is a great, great guy. I love that guy. And um, and to think that the the people of Alabama would choose. Uh, and luckily, he beat what, the other guy, Moore. Ron Moore, yeah. yeah. Did you know he? Did place. you know he was a uh, West Pointer? Moore, Ron Moore, yeah. Was? Yeah. yeah. Nobody, uh, nobody brings that up. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, there, are, you know, there are a few bad West Pointers. You know, we're playing uh, Army in two weeks. I know. Now, and so my daughter's pediatrician is a West Point graduate. Yeah. And he said, "Well, tell your daddy that I'm not going to this one game. I'm not going to be pulling fellow shoes. So I'm going to get him a." a uh, pass, you know, to box and to see if the uh, tell me ought to walk down to the West Point box and introduce himself to the AD and everything. But he's a he's also a colonel in the, in the reserves. Hey, hey, oh, Ty, yeah. I teach at Penn with David Eisenhower. We have lunch every week. Oh yeah, and there are some West Point stories that he can tell. Oh, he can. In fact, I am headed down. Uh, if you next time you tell him, please tell him that I am headed down to what is now Fort Gordon at the end of the month to the renaming ceremony to call it Fort Eisenhower. Yes, oh. that's great. That is so yeah. great. Listen, yeah, you, you've that, been great. We didn't want to keep you any longer. You. No, I understand. Thank, Thank you. you so much. 
James, you mentioned earlier, but I thought South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace might just be one of those interesting members in a pretty sorry Republican House caucus. As you note, I'm always looking for that good Republican. The first woman graduate of the Citadel, and though a Trump supporter, she sharply criticized him after January 6, 2021. Uh, she was one of the eight who voted against Kev- Kevin McCarthy dooming his speakership. Uh, I, I really didn't have a dog in that fight, but she, she, she charged, he lied to her about her efforts, her, her efforts to help women and address sexual assaults. So what does she do the next day? She announces she's supporting for Speaker House Judiciary Committee Chair Ohio Rep. Jim Jordan for Speaker. Margaret Brennan of CBS asked Mace whether her concerns about sexual assaults applied to Jim Jordan, the former assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State, where seven wrestlers have said he knew about the doctor who was sexually assaulting athletes and he covered it up. Jordan denies it. But there is no reason for those wrestlers to fabricate a story about a powerful politician. Mace feigned ignorance, says she wasn't versed on that one. While noting, well, he wasn't indicted, was he? Congresswoman and honorable Citadel graduate, if you're going to vote for someone for speaker after accusing the previous one of stiffing you on women's issues and sexual assault, maybe you ought to check his record first. Put her back with a sorry caucus, James. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think she tried to be sane and the voters wouldn't let her be sane, but maybe I'm being too a little too kind, a little too generous with her. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, by the way, just on the, the whole Jim Jordan thing, there's that George Clooney movie that is made, and we're just waiting for it to be released. And it's going to be pretty damning. It's going to be very damning. Well, there, there's just, you know, we've talked about this before, but having been on a wrestling team in high school, but a big wrestling team, and I had you know, a lot of people, it's unimaginable that the trainer or the doctor could be sexually assaulting in the shower and elsewhere multiple wrestlers. I mean, a big It couldn't happen on a football team much as a wrestling team. Yeah, and the, and the, and the assistant coach didn't know about it. That's just strange credulity. That, you know, that, that, they tried to get the, the Republican Ohio legislature to extend the time of which you could bring action against that. And, of course, guess what? They said no. So the... Apparently, he was more than knew about it. According to some of the wrestlers, he was actively trying to suppress it. And I think that's in the Clooney movie. But what I don't get, it'll go into my, how they just go out in public, like just nothing happened. Wouldn't you be embarrassed? I I mean, I don't know. you know, but what they do, they don't care. And I, and this is the one thing that I get more than any other comments when I'm out traveling. Why don't, James, why don't we be tough like them and, you know, do like they do? And I, the, the, the complicated answer, we can't. Because if we did, we would be embarrassed. Let's take the $6 billion Biden Taxpayer gift to Iran. Okay, none of that's not remotely true. Does that even re- stop them from one second from saying it? No, they don't give a shit 
and the people who receive the information, not only do they not give a shit, they like it. The more they lied to, the more they like it. So every fact checker comes up and points out this was something Trump exemption the Trump administration gave is kept in a South Korean bank and never considered, blah, blah, blah. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. They just keep plowing away. And just like 60% of the people in the country think that Joe Biden did, some, did something wrong in the Hunter Biden affair, well, there's no evidence of it. But what they find out is they just keep repeating it. And you keep calling them out and they keep repeating it. It's just, it's amazing. Absolutely. Um... But they are what they are. And then it's not going to change. And, and the people want to be lied to, and they know that they have to lie to them to get power, and they're doing it. And we can't do it. We just can't. All right, and now for those questions from our very smart listeners. Uh, <clears throat> James, we've, we've discussed this, but <clears throat> David in Livingston, New Jersey, says it's not the age, it's the lack of fight. So how can we get over the frustration and despair that the president does not present the toughness to campaign and attack? I feel like we're reliving the Dukakis campaign and I'm going to lose a winnable election. Well, I think the the, the two are related. I, I, and I think that in, in fairness to Joe Biden, he's been a fine, I mean, he's been resilient and fought all his life. And I think he's, you know, doing a you know, terrific job in managing multiple crises. But you're right, he is old. And, you know, when he walks, you can see it and it does slow you down. It's, it's, it's inarguable. This is true. Yeah, I wish it weren't, but it is. It, it yeah. is totally inarguable. Mm-hmm. James, I'm going to take a question from New Orleans. This is from Red, who writes us uh, uh, often and always has good questions. Red says, with RFK Jr. announcing an independent run and the Republicans now disseminating material against him, what do you think his effect on the race will be? Is there any state you'd expect him to have an effect on the Electoral College? Red, um, yeah, an effect on the Electoral College, yes. I mean, he gets 2 or 3%. He can affect the Electoral, the electoral College uh, as candidates have before in 16 and in, uh, and in 2000. Um, I think this is a really sad story. He's made a fool of himself. He has tarnished a great family name. The person that I think first fascinated me in politics, I fell in love with Jack Kennedy when I was in college, but Bobby Kennedy, I thought, was the was the real deal, and I even at one point considered leaving the news business and seeing if I could get a low-level job uh, with him. And I think what RFK Jr. has done with his absurd campaign uh, has just, as I say, tarnished that name. Who does he take from if he gets 2 3 4%? I'm not sure. Uh, the RNC wouldn't be disseminating materials against him if they were confident it would only hurt uh, Biden. Uh, he has a Democratic name and he has a right-wing platform. So you tell me, James. Well, first of all, Sean Hannity went after him on his program, I guess it was night before last. Hard. Hard. So I, I think I said this last week, and I, I might say it every week between now and the election. In the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, all right, and Arizona, Trump got a higher percent 
in 2020 than he did in 2016. Now, mull on that. In those four critical states, Trump had a higher percent in 2020, an election he lost, and lost each one of those states than he did in 2016, an election that he won, and he won each of those states. So that's the Jill Stein effect. I, I mean, I don't know where these people are coming from because you're going to have no labels out there. That's a, almost a certainty. And Bobby Kennedy is going to run. He writes crazy. They'll attack him from everywhere. I don't know. Cornell West is going to get votes. And a good part of the votes that he gets would go to Biden. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you that... You don't, it does not take much to upset in the presidential head to heads. I know they're pretty useless in October for the election year, but none of them indicated much margin for error, if you ask me. Oh. I, I, well, the only, that's a uh, situation. the only ray of hope is that they watch a lot of um, <clears throat> film of uh, <clears throat> Harry Truman in 1948 um, because he, Great. he, he I, faced a pincher, yeah. but I'm not. I, I share your concern, even yeah. your pessimism. Simon. But if Tom Dewey would have been president, it would have been the end of the country. That's true. That's true. And if Mitt Romney or John McCain or Bob Dole had been president, it wouldn't have been the end of the country. Mm-hmm. If Donald Trump becomes president, it is the end of the America as we know it. That is not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon. The second Bush put, put us pretty close. Well, uh, you know, I'll take. I'll, I'll still take that over. I've heard Donald Trump coming back. Simon in Cincinnati says, assuming democracy is at stake in 24, isn't an incumbent for a Democrat to primary Biden and campaign without criticizing but highlighting the threats of MAGA while thanking Biden and stating it's time for the next generation of Democrats to continue the fight? Pretty good question, James. Look, I think I, I, I agree with the premise. <laughs> Uh, but, but yes, I, it, the country wants, to a large extent, the country is just screaming for, for new leadership and some generational change. It's just, it's evident. And if you don't give them that choice, I, I don't know what the, what the future results are going to be. But it, it's going to be, feel like people feel like that they don't, voice doesn't count. They got enthusiastic about the country. Don't feel good about voting. It, it, the ramifications of it are just not good yeah. at all. At all. Totally agree. And I think we have the general with us. Andrew in Los Angeles. Uh, this, is an, this is really an interesting proposition. Andrew asks Is there any value in Hakeem Jeffries and the House leaderships nominating Liz Cheney as McCarthy's replacement? You get enough moderate center left Democrats and sane Republicans. Uh, and, and, you know, c- could get them to a winning number. Am I crazy? Andrew, it's a great idea. It's not going to happen because the crazy left and the crazy right uh, would block it. But <clears throat> it would drive the uh, it would drive the Jordans and the uh, Elise Stefanik's crazy. I think if they could pull it off, she would do it. I think Hakeem Jeffries, who, by the way, has been a great leader, would do it. But I'm afraid that the, the, they're, they're, the moderate Republicans just are timid. And the left-wing Democrats just wouldn't go along. James? Yeah, I, 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 I agree. It's a provocative question. And if the left-wing Democrats were any, had any sense of 
humor or mischief about them, they, right. they would go along with it too. But I honestly, I got to ask you, I don't know how they, how they get from here to there with Scalise and, and Jim Jordan and McCarthy and the background. And it, it took them 15 votes to get there with one candidate. I mean, I, I just have people. As of today, they ain't going to get any help from the Democrats, nor should they, uh, <clears throat> after the way no. they behaved. Um, t- James, this, you, you're going to have to take this one, and I'll, we'll tell you why in a minute. Tyler and Donaldson, Tennessee. Now, listen to this. This is good. Will Brandon <clears throat> leave Reeves <clears throat> all shook up? Or will he check into the Heartbreak Hotel come November? Talking about talking about the Mississippi governor's race. Uh, the Democratic candidate is Elvis's second cousin. My son's working for him, so I'm not going to comment on that. But I love the way he put the question, James. So there's a, a opinion piece in the Hill today that says Brennan's leaving them all shook up. So and I, I, I've heard of a woman. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed can't put the name up, but 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 it's kind of worth reading. I, you know, it's so hard because when I tell people that we got a real shot in Mississippi, they, they just kind of glaze over you. I, I think we're going to win Kentucky. And by the way, I, I think Andrew Bashir is the most underrated or underappreciated politician in the United States. Uh, you know, he's just very hard to be seen when you're in Kentucky. But he he is that good, uh, uh, that good. And I, I suspect that after he's reelected, we might hear a little bit more from him nationally. Uh, the other two races, Mississippi and Louisiana, and the, the big one, the just as big as these governor's races, these Virginia legislative races, they're huge. I, I think that Brandon's n- n- got no worse than a 45% chance to win the thing. Maybe, I, I don't know why I say if I don't have it, but by anything that... that we know uh, the polling is, is is very tight. The third party has said she did endorse Brandon. I don't know how much good it's going to do, but it can't hurt anything. And the most important thing is that the data show that the the, the blacks are sick of Tate Reeves' bullshit of no water and trying to take political power away and all these kind of goofy political games of playing Jackson. So I I. I I, I think we got a real shot here. I, I'll be honest with you, uh, but we'll see. It's, it's a big election. You know, and I don't know if elections have consequences. There's 500,000 people that will have health insurance if Brendan is elected that don't, well, if he's not. They will not. If he's not. Dan, Danielle in Westchester, New York, says she just donated $50 to Adam Frisch after, his, after really? he was on our show. And she says he, she makes as many similar donations as she can afford, but she's wondering whether the size of donations actually matter or would it be better off giving time, et cetera. You know, Danielle, uh, I'm just a simple newspaper guy. I don't have the wisdom of James Carville in this, but I would think the answer is both. Uh, give what you can give and work as hard as you can. And you're in Westchester. I forget if there's one of those Republican congressmen who pull an upset uh, uh, and and. 2022, but it's not that long a drive to Long Island, and you got two or three races out there. So, you know, if you can give 50 bucks, great, but also give your time. You know, I go back to the interview we had with Adam Frisch, and and I gotta admit that I was kind of skeptical. I think the Ashton guys, and couldn't, you know, probably it'd be far more obviously it'd be far anybody against Lauren Robert. I walked away highly impressed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did too. I mean, I mean, not. I mean, yeah, I would have been fine no matter no matter what. He, he could have been an orangutan, you know, and be fine. But but I, I found him to be highly humble and highly impressive man, and I, I think that you know that fifty dollars is fifty dollars well spent. It's something in that volunteers that I've noticed happens is a lot of people, particularly older people, they, they can't travel to Wisconsin. Or, or wherever, you know, even these Virginia special elections. But I tell you, if you call the state party or you look at somebody's doing that, ask them for a list of names. To call. Of, right. uh, I'll write postcards to. Here's some names and addresses, and this is a, 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 a Democratic voter file of a, of a voter that's high probable. They have to grade all these voters on the files, and you can write, you know, people that you think might be in the middle, you can write low, low turnout propensity people, but, you know, asking to turn out. I, I, th I think these postcards are a, a really effective way to volunteer for a race and you, you don't have to leave in your house and do something. And I, I do think that, that someone getting a postcard from another human being saying, hi, you know, this is Melissa in Bethesda and just wanted to, you know, drop your line, urge you to vote. Democratic, our freedom is Okay, Daniel, you've got your marching orders. The final question comes from Kristen in Jacksonville, Florida, who says DeSantis had a weak opponent in 2020. I don't think he's as popular, Danielle, or Kristen says, as it seems. But I also struggle <clears throat> with who's worse, Ron or Don? James is contemplating. Who's worse, Ron or Don? Well, you know, I mean, this is d d different degrees of horribleness. But, I mean, you can't, I, I don't know that DeSantis is, is a criminal. I, 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 to the extent that a person can know this without an actual conviction, I, I, I think that Donald Trump is clearly a career well, He's been convicted of rape. I, I, right, been convicted, yeah, and I, I don't know. De DeSantis, the, first of all, his numbers are now underwater in Florida. It, 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 people have to understand this, right? And he 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 made a big bet when his campaign came out, and it was all going to be on woke. It was woke Disney, woke schools, woke bathrooms, right? And this is Florida's where woke goes to die. In the he started that he was at thirty two. Starting the last debate, he was at twelve. You know the one word that never came out of Ron DeSantis' mouth. Woke, and it, he made a horrible strategic decision. In which my, my friend in Jacksonville knows, and other people, other Floridians, and and all people along the Atlantic coast and the Gulf Gulf of Mexico know, these homeowner insurance rates are just smothering people, and the, the Republicans call the insurance commissioner, they control the governor, the House, the Senate, the courts, the you name it. And someone sent me a chart on how these home insurance rates have exploded. And it's, it's almost unbelievable. And you think about this, though. It's not a discretionary expense. If the gas prices go too high, you can say, well, we'll drive less. If you don't have the homeowner's insurance, the mortgage will foreclose on you. You, you signed a contract that you will keep for the length of your mortgage, you would keep homeowners, homeowners insurance. And so the, 
these people are getting slaughtered in Florida. And DeSantis is off mumbling about was he doesn't anymore woke something on if you don't if you you don't have a name if you can't I had a, a guy taught me in law school it was like an adjunct and he said if you can't think of a citation just say it's Hornbook law okay <laughs> if you if the Republican can't think of what to say just say woke three times that's the answer Kristen I think it's um, there is no easy choice here it's between bad and really bad and you can. You, you can yeah, pick it, but okay. thank you for the question. Right. Thank all of you for the questions. Right. We didn't get to them this week. We'll get to them next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Now, following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Lomi, Z-Biotics, and Miracle Made, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting it because when you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You also can find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon for your favorite podcast sites. Remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. Now we're going to be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.